This reading um, consists of excerpts from Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 12. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. Another thousand cubits and he led me through water that was knee deep. Another thousand and he led me through water that was up to my waist. Another thousand, but now it was a river and I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river with trees on each side. He said to me, when this water empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish, so, there, so where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on the both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for the food and leaves for hearing and leaves for healing. Morning. Morning. <laughs> Happy New Year to you. It's great to see you. Hope that you had a good Christmas. Hope that it was restful as well as fun and uh, that this new year uh, is one in which there is many, many good things for you. Uh, we're going to, as we've already said, begin this new series called Hold Back the River. Hopefully on your way in you'd have been given an outlook which had these flyers in. You'll see where we're going over the next couple of two, three weeks. Uh, a key series for us as we look at a key passage for us in the life of the church and as individuals. But as we begin, should we pray? We're going to pray and we'll have a moment of quiet, of stillness, and then we'll ask God to speak to us as we look at his word, the Bible. Let's be still. Father, at the beginning of a new year, there is time to stop and to pause about where we're at and about our lives. And that's true for us as individuals, that's true for us as a church. And Father, as we stand looking ahead to this year, we ask that you would speak to us. You are God. And so we're listening, Father. Holy Spirit, would you teach us and change us, we pray. That this year would be a year in which we find our home in you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So if I was to ask you, uh, what is your focus for 2017? What are you aiming at? What would you say? What are you hoping to achieve this year? What are your kind of uh, aims? Two quotes to help us with this. Famous quotes, particularly this first one. You hit what you aim at. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. 
or as George Lucas, have you seen the latest film, as George Lucas, the Star Wars director and producer and kind of owner really says, always remember your focus determines your reality. So what are you aiming at this year in 2017? What's your focus? What are you hoping to achieve? Some of us have very clear goals, very clear aims for this year. Some of us have given that up because we don't like being disappointed. But for the next few weeks, we're going to go back to our roots as a church. When I moved to Birmingham from London uh, to be involved in Riverside, lots of people in London asked, why is it called Riverside? Because Birmingham, frankly, is not known for its free-flowing rivers. Certainly down south, it's not. (laughs) This passage that we've had read to us, and excerpts from it, is a key passage in the life of Riverside. It is where we get our name from, and so we're gonna spend a few weeks at the beginning of a year exploring what it might be saying to us today and what God, by his spirit, might want to reveal to us as individuals and as a church. So let me ask you, uh, as we begin, what is the most remarkable river that you've ever stood by? The most remarkable river. It might be an inspiring river, a powerful river, a daunting river, a beautiful, peaceful river. And just turn to the person next to you, tell them what was it about that river that really struck you? All right? Rivers, think about it, your life, the most remarkable, inspiring, powerful, peaceful, whatever it is that has struck you about that river and what was it? Just share with that person next to you. Well, I want you to bear those things in your mind, those aspects of that particular river, whether it is its beauty, power, its noise, whatever it was, bear that in mind as we look at this passage. For me, this is the river that has struck me most when I remember being stood by it. Anyone know what this river is? Zambezi, Zambezi yeah, by Victoria Falls. And frankly, it's a terrifying river, particularly there. The power of it is awesome to behold. And yet, if you go at other times of the year, it is very peaceful, it's still powerful, but it's not quite as sort of daunting as it is at certain times. Well, this passage that we've got in front of us is a key passage in the life of God's people in the Old Testament. They are in desperate times. They're a long way from home. They are in exile. They've been taken from their home, both physically and spiritually, taken over by enemies, invaded. And for many, many years, they've been longing to know when on earth they will get home to Jerusalem and to the temple where they signified their, pre- their worship of God and God's presence with them. And the first half of the book of Ezekiel is, is quite frankly scary and sometimes quite difficult to understand. As we read about why they're in that situation, because they've turned a long way from God, and therefore God has judged them, and there's all sorts of bad things happening. And then what happens in these chapters, 40 to 48, we suddenly get a glimpse of hope for the future, of one day when the desperate, broken land will get its color back. When God's people once again will be with God, and see God's good things happening. When death will return, well death will end and life will begin. When blessing will come from a fruitless land. Summarized by this verse, 
as we get a picture of the temple once again being rebuilt like a river that flows across the land. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Life where there once was death. Hope where there once was desperation. Joy where there was once brokenness. And every month fruit will come. It's a real encouragement, I think, for any of us for whom our lives feel pretty hopeless, pretty desperate, pretty dry, pretty broken, pretty barren, pretty empty, fruitless. There is hope. And so I think from these passages, this passage, there are five things for us to focus on this year as a church and five things for us as individuals that we might want to turn our attention to. And the first is this. 2017, let's focus on reforming, not retreating. What do I mean by that? Well, sadly, sometimes Christians are known for this kind of stuff. Now, this on the screen is scary stuff, and we are saddened by this kind of reaction, but for many people in our community, they know Christians as being anti, against, negative, down, judgmental. It's horrible stuff. Now we might not kind of resonate with that, but here's the question. Are we a little bit like this? Just a little bit, sometimes, if we're honest. I love this quote from comedian Stephen Colbert in the US, brilliant quote. Joy is the most infallible sign of the existence of God. Great quote. Are we known as people like this or as people like this? (laughs) 2017, are we known as people who are just a little bit against, a little bit dour, a little bit down, a little bit moany, a little bit grumbly? Or are we known as people for whom joy informs even the deepest sorrows? For whom we're not known as being anti-things in society, but are for people and long to see change and transformation and hope and joy. You see, reading through the passage, you see life everywhere, hope everywhere. Do you see that? There was desperation, but then there was fish, plenty of fish, more like the Mediterranean. Fruit, fruit trees. Fruit that will serve for food and leaves for healing. And so this year, are we known as a people who retreat from culture, from society, or will we be people who will reform? Are we known in our workplace as people who are life givers? We're wanted around because of what we can bring. People who bring change for good for all. What does that look like for you tomorrow morning? In your workplace, what have you got coming on, coming out this week, where actually you can be somebody who brings hope, good, joy, life? What does it look like in your family circumstances? 
where you can bring sense of just freedom and blessing. To reform the things that aren't so great rather than retreat away from them because they're over there. So let's be a people who reform, not retreat from culture, to who engage, not disconnect. Where I used to live, where I grew up, there was a church, a very conservative church, that they used to stand on the road, on a busy road, preaching at the cars. The cars couldn't hear, because they weren't even doing it by a place where you stopped. They were just preaching at. Their job was done. To be honest, they were quite a scary bunch rather than being known as people who are just engaged and loving and caring and bringing hope. So, reform, not retreat. That's the first thing. The second thing, I think, is this. Focus on prayer as well as practicalities. Do you notice where this life, this vibrancy, this fruit, this blessing comes from? We'll look again at verse 12, that verse we read. What does it say? Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. In other words, this isn't because of their hard work that they bring all this blessing. It's because it actually comes from God. And ultimately, of course, the blessing doesn't come from us at all. The temple in the New Testament is, of course, Jesus himself reestablishing that new connection with God that we, if we follow Christ, can find that relationship with God. And therefore, us as his church, empowered by God's spirit, we take that message out. We literally go with Christ to this broken, desperate world. And therefore, it's not about us and our practical things. It's about God bringing the life, the blessing, the fruit, the hope. So this year, in amongst your busyness, in amongst the things you've got to do, is prayer on our agenda. I was reading uh, these words from Spurgeon. Spurgeon was a great preacher in the kind of 19th century proper old school. Listen to these words. They're quality words. Prayer, you can imagine the sort of burning passion, fiery. Here we go. I won't try it, but I'll just read it. Prayer is the never failing resort of the Christian in every plight. When you cannot use your sword, you may take to the weapon of all prayer. Your powder may be damp, your bowstring may be relaxed, but the weapon of all prayer never need be out of order. Leviathan laughs at the javelin, but he trembles at prayer. Sword and spear need furbishing, but prayer never rusts, and when we think it most blunt, it cuts the best. Prayer is an open door which none can shut. Devils may surround you on all sides, but the way upward is always open. Prayer gains audience with heaven in the dead of night, in the midst of busyness, in the heat of noonday, in the shades of evening. In every condition, whether poverty or sickness or obscurity or slander or doubt, your God will welcome your prayer and answer it from his holy place. True prayer is true power. This evening, my soul, forget not to offer thy petition and request, for the Lord is ready to grant thy desires. And there's a difference between what you might call kind of normal prayer and the kind of prayer where you get a sense there's momentum. And there's the kind of maintenance prayer which is the kind of prayer that doesn't excite And then there's the kind of prayer that that leads to where actually you really start praying. As somebody once said to me, pray until you start praying. (laughs) 
And may 2017 be a year for all of us in which we realize that true change, true transformation in our society, in our church, and in our lives stems, yes, from what we do, but more actually from the God who can bring life. As Paul Miller says, when you stop trying to control your life and instead allow your anxieties and problems to bring you to God in prayer, you shift from worry to watching. You watch God weave his patterns in the story of your life. Instead of trying to be out front designing your life, you realize you are inside God's drama. As you wait, you begin to see him work and your life begins to sparkle with wonder. You're learning to trust again. Prayer as well as practicalities. Thirdly, what about this one? It's very clear, focus on life change, not lifestyle. Do you see the change that happens? It is nothing short of total, complete transformation, not a new image or a new dress code or moral transformation of some sort. This is life change complete, full stop. Look at verse nine. Swarms of living creature will live wherever the river flows. There'll be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Not everything will look a bit nicer, a bit tidier, a bit more upstanding. No, life. Even changing salt water to fresh. I love this cartoon. Many of us, I think, whether we would call ourselves Christians or not, have stuff in our life that we long to change. And our society is one in which there are many, many resources that we can use to kind of help ourselves. And yet I think as this cartoon so helpfully reminds us that self-help sometimes can be the greatest crushing that we ever might find. We need help beyond ourselves. We need life change. Which is why, as Sarah has already mentioned, we do run alpha here. We do it every term because we are convinced that life change only comes about with that relationship with God through Jesus. And therefore, if you are here and you know you've got big questions, alpha genuinely is a brilliant opportunity starting the 31st of January. Millions of people around the world have done it and have found their life deeply helped by it. But also, for those of us who are Christians, we will know people in our sphere for whom they are deeply dissatisfied or they have issues or they just have questions and they're turning to self-help stuff. Maybe you might want to suggest, here's another way that you might want to explore true, lasting change. And also for many of us, can I just encourage you, let's not forget, (coughs) for those of us who have friends who are just looking for something, just inviting them along on a Sunday, sometimes is that thing that they will find most helpful as they come into this loving community and begin to explore what life really might be all about. 
So life change, not just tweaking lifestyle stuff. Total transformation. The fourth thing is this. Focus this year on the global as well as the local. Did you know a statistic for you? In 1957, there were 170 registered Elvis impersonators. By 2007, there were 200,000 Elvis impersonators. If that growth continues on that same trajectory, by 2057, a third of the world's population will be Elvis impersonators. (laughs) We live in a time here in the UK in which for many people the church and therefore Christianity is heard to be dying, declining, out of touch, unnecessary, unwanted. Listen again to those words of verse nine. Swarms of living creature will live wherever the river flows. And it can be easy for us, I think, in our culture at the moment, with the uncertainty about the future, to forget the global picture of what God is doing right now across the planet. Let me show you some click through some history of our timeline globally. I share this not to kind of do about empire or anything like that, but just to show you something really simple. 12 AD, just in the early days. Look, here was Christianity, of course, nowhere. The Roman Empire was everywhere. By 364 AD, the Roman Empire is still around, but look at Christianity in the cream color, beginning to spread. But still very much Rome was the god of the day. But cast forward to 441, just a few decades later, Rome is nowhere. Now you've got the Byzantine, Empire, exciting, look at Christianity continuing to grow. Cast forward another 600 years, now look at Christianity spreading. Of course, Islam is now rising, Byzantine's still there. Rome, of course, a very distant memory now, whereas once it was God. Cast forward a few more years, 1287. Look at the Mongols with um, uh, Genghis Khan and all that. Wow, what a power, but look at Christianity, still going, but still, you know, lots of other things. Then 1750s, just a couple of centuries ago, of course, Mongols a long, long way away. Rome now a distant memory. The Byzantine era way, way gone. Christianity now spread over much of Europe, many places in the southern, uh, the southern hemisphere as well. Islam, of course, growing as well. 1960s, look at that, the communist era all over the world, and of course you'd have spoke to Christians there, scared about the influence of communism, scared about what was gonna be happening, and then of course now look at 2016. Communism all but a distant memory apart from in one or two countries around the world. And I show that not in any sense to talk about empire or anything like that, but simply to say When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it, he meant it. And we are living in a time where there are more people becoming Christians than ever in history. 
The church literally is bringing blessing all across the planet, everywhere. And we forget it in our society. And in our culture, it sometimes can be seen, thought that the church is on the wrong side of history because of our views or whatever. But listen to this quote from one article I read. The early church, the first Christians, looked like, looked like it was on the wrong side of history, but instead it changed history with a dogged adherence to the biblical gospel. And that should be our aspiration as well. Don't forget, God is in the business of bringing blessing all across the world. He always has done, he always will do through us, and which is where we come to our last point. So yes, focus on the global picture as well as the local, but finally this. This year, 2017, can I encourage us to dream small as well as big? Do you notice the river? Did you see that? Powerful by the end, isn't it? Let me illustrate something. Do you know who this woman is? Anyone know who this woman is? Her name is Henrietta Mears. Anyone else know who Henrietta Mears is? No. If you walked past Henrietta Mears in the street, you would not think it very significant. You would not think she was very important. She was single all her life. She frankly wore bizarre clothes with quite cool glasses nowadays, probably weren't in her time. Always dressed in the same way. She wasn't the image of somebody that was gonna change history. And yet it is estimated that three billion people have been impacted as a direct result of her faith in Jesus. You see, Henrietta Mears was a Sunday school teacher in California in the early and mid 20th century. And it was in this role that she would dramatically influence hundreds of young men and women by her Sunday school class. But in the middle of those young men and women were two people. The first was a man named Bill Bright. Bill Bright would go on to establish something called the Campus Crusade for Christ, which produced the Jesus film, which is one of, if not the most influential tool in Christian mission history. The second person in Henrietta Mears Sunday School class was a young man named Billy Graham. The man who it's estimated has spoken to more people about Jesus than anyone else in history face to face. Henrietta Mears was never going to be famous. She was largely unacceptable and yet, and yet, she knew that she was engaged in her life in a mission that was so important, so much bigger than her that required so much of her that she just devoted her life to simply following Christ, being a blessing to those around her and in her Sunday school class. Which is why she said, when I think of my ministry, I think of the world. Anything less than that would not be worthy of Christ nor his will for my life. And do you see the river? Look how it starts. And the water was trickling, a little trickle of water. And then we read just a few verses later, 
Now it was a river that I couldn't cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim a river that no one could cross. And it can be easy at the beginning of a new year to think that your life doesn't make a difference. Can I encourage you? Your life can and does change history. But it may not be in the grand ways that we like to think that our society tells us important, but it may be just in the one or two lives that you can be a blessing to. If you're a parent, you never know that the single greatest contribution to bringing hope to this world might be through the way you're just a parent because of what they or their offspring may come on to do. You'll never know that. Or the people in your workplace, if you're in education, the children that, that you have an opportunity to speak into. Or, or the colleagues that you have. Or just the neighbors that you're living next door. You might just change their life and you never know what they might do. And so this year, Please don't forget that the mundane stuff of life can be the way in which God changes history. The way in which you fill out that form, the way in which you speak to your colleague, the way in which you make drinks at work, the way in which you just say a nice kind thing, the way in which you pray, the way in which you say, do you wanna come along to Alpha? The way in which you say, do you wanna come to church? Those little things may change history. So dream big, yes, but as you do so, dream small. Who is it today, tomorrow, that God by his spirit might flow through us, bringing life and hope and peace?